Let me give us a quick reminder of where we are through our journey in the catechism. We're on Lord's Day number four here tonight. If you remember where we started, Lord's Day one was what is your only comfort in life and in death? It gives us a great hope and points us towards Jesus. And then we quickly plunged into misery, right? This is our third week on misery and sin and brokenness, right? We've been taught you know, what the law is all about. The law is not hopeful. The law reveals our misery, We've been taught about our natural tendency, less to ourselves, we'll hate God, we'll hate our neighbors. Last week, we, we learned how sin is like a poison that, that infiltrates every part of us, and nothing we do and nothing we have is good enough, right? It's important for us, I think, as I started there with misery, to, to be honest with who we are. And it's important for us to know who God is through all that, too. And that's really where we turn tonight. The, the Lord's Day 4 is the last one in the, the sin and misery section. And it really talks about what's God's role in all of this. What's God doing about it? What is God responsible for? So let's uh, look at the Lord's Day. There's three question and answers in Lord's Day 4. I'll read the part that labeled leader, the question. And why don't you join with me for the answers. The first one says, doesn't God's law do us an injustice by requiring in his law what we are unable to do? No. God created humans with the ability to keep the law. They, however, tempted by the devil, in reckless disobedience, robbed themselves and all their descendants of these gifts. Will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry about the sin we are born with, as well as the sins we personally commit. As a just judge, he punishes them now and in eternity. He has declared, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. But isn't God also merciful? God is certainly merciful but he is also just. His justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. Well, God comes down pretty hard on Lord's Day 4, doesn't he? You know, that first question that we ask, question answer number 9, is really, really asking, getting at the implication that, that God just isn't quite fair in all of this. He's requiring us to do what's really impossible for us to do. And that doesn't seem fair. And if you're like me, and I think most people are, we like fair a lot. We, we like it when people get what they deserve, right? As a kid, being the youngest of five, life was never fair. Right? And I yelled out all the time to my parents when, they, when my older siblings got to go to movies that I didn't get to go to, that's not fair. When they stayed up later than I stayed up, that's not fair. I think it became just a regular chorus from my voice of life isn't fair. Right? As adults, we continue to want what's fair. You know, when a crime is committed, you know, the punishment should be fitting. It should be fair, right? There should be justice. When someone has worked really hard, it's only fair that they have some success, right? We like that. We like it when humble service and quality character is recognized and rewarded. That's fair. We like it when, 
when the bully finally gets in trouble, right? That's fair. That's good. We almost really could sign on to that, that Hindu concept of karma, right? You do something good and, and you'll get blessed in return. You do something bad and there's certain to be punishment that comes. We like fair. But in all of this sin conversation that we've been having now for the last three Lord's Days, God doesn't seem quite fair. Right? There's an injustice, the question seems to imply, that, that God requires us to keep, keep the law when he knows that we can't. Yeah, I know the answer was there that you know, Adam and Eve sinned and we used to be able to, but, but you and I never had a chance. We never stood a chance at keeping the law. And it's, as a parent, that's not... If, if my, when my son was little... It's like me requiring him you know, to get something out of the top cupboard when there's no way he can reach it and then punishing him when he can't. It just doesn't seem fair, does it? Well, question and answer 10 goes on to make sure that we know that, that God won't let sin go unpunished. Right? Our failure can't be ignored. It won't be ignored by God. Right? There are some strong words in there that says he's terribly angry by our sin. Both the sin we're born with and the sin we commit. So as he punishes them now and into eternity, right? The quote at the end there, cursed is everyone who does not abide by the law. Whoa. And it ends question answer 11 by telling us that, yes, God's merciful, but you notice how quickly it bounced off of the mercy? Yeah, we're not going to look at the mercy right now. It goes on to say, but don't forget he's just. But when you think about mercy, throw mercy into this conversation about being fair. And all of a sudden, we're getting really unfair. If anything's unfair in life, mercy is unfair, isn't it? And I think we have a kind of a love-hate relationship with mercy. We love it when it's given to us. When, when it's not fair, but we get something good. We don't love it quite so much when it's given to somebody else. When they deserve, and they don't get what they deserve, mercy's not fair at all. So those of us who would like fair won't like Jesus' parable that he's going to tell us this evening. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20. When we're talking about fair, I would guess that most of us subscribe to the, to the principle of equal pay for equal work, right? If, if I do the same job as you and all other things being equal, we, we should get the same amount of pay. That's the way it should work. But if you work longer than me, if you work harder than me, if you work better than me, then you certainly should be compensated more than me. That's right. That's fair. That's just. Now listen to what the story that Jesus tells. Matthew 20, the first 16 verses. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go, work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day, all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers 
and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give this man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. There's an injustice in this story. It's unjust. It's not fair to give all of these workers equal pay for unequal work. I mean, think about it if you were in that. Some of these, some of these men worked from sunrise to sunset, the 12 hours of the workday in that culture, through the hot noontime sun from early in the morning till sunset. Others worked only for an hour in the cool of the evening. Equal pay for unequal work. That's not fair. And that's exactly right. That's exactly Jesus' point in this story. It's this point made to, to many godly people who are looking for God to treat them fairly and are looking to God to treat them justly. Let's think about this story. Just dig into it a little bit more. Who, who is Jesus talking to? Well, chapter 20 doesn't say who the crowd is. In fact, it never really says who's gathered around them. We can piece it together, though, looking back at chapter 19 and make a pretty good guess. Jesus is traveling in the vicinity of of Judea, says that large crowds were following him through there. So we can assume there's a lot of regular people. A lot of people have been following, following him around that are listening in. His disciples show up through chapter 19, so his disciples are usually around. We can assume that they're there. The Pharisees also show up in chapter 19, so I would guess that some of the Pharisees are listening in. I think it's important to also note uh, the encounter that Jesus had that leads to this story back in chapter 19. Matthew 19 is the story of the rich young ruler, the rich young man who asked Jesus what good thing he needed to do to get eternal life. Right? He's kept all of the commandments, he says, and he wonders what more he needs to do to be sure to enter the kingdom of heaven, to earn his place in God's presence. And Jesus tells him, remember the story, sell all you own and give to the poor. Make his commitment to Jesus number one in his life. No other gods. And it says he walks away sad because he can't give up the comforts of his money. So Jesus here in chapter 20 is speaking about and probably speaking to people who are intent on earning their way into God's good graces like this rich young man was. They're wondering what kind of agreement, what kind of deal, what kind of bargain can we make with God in order to make sure that we're treated justly for all the, all the hard work we do to honor God. And that's exactly what we see with these first workers, the ones who start at six in the morning, bright and early. 
right? The landowner, it says, goes to the city square. And the city square in that culture is where all the day laborers would gather to meet and wait for someone to come and hire them for the day, right? That's the way it worked in that culture. The laborers would congregate hoping that they would get a job. If, if there was work, then their family would eat that night. For many of them, if they didn't find work, they might go hungry that night. So it's pretty important to gather there. And it's there in the city square then that that the owners and the workers would would negotiate a fair compensation for the job offered. And so you notice in verse 2 that that's exactly what happens. In verse 2, the agreement is made. The first workers are pleased. So notice it wasn't a take or to leave it offer. They're able to negotiate and figure out a fair price, and everybody's pleased. The worker's pleased. The owner's pleased. It's a good deal for everybody. The bargain is made. Off they go to work. But notice, maybe you notice as we read through that, things are handled a little differently for the workers who get hired as the day goes on. The landowner comes back, and he hires more workers partway throughout the workday. But if you notice, there's no agreement negotiated in the city square there. Verse 4, the owner simply says, you also go work in my vineyard. I'll pay you whatever's right. They go without a contract. They they have no negotiation power in this deal. And that's the same with those who go at noon. The same goes at 3 and at 5, just hour hour left at work. You just go. I'll pay you what's right. They're at his mercy. And so they go to work trusting, assuming that this landowner will be fair to them. When it's time to get paid at the end of the day, they realize he's not fair at all. Those who work for just one hour get payment for a full day's work. And so did those who came and worked for three hours. And so did those who started at noon. And so did those who slept in and started late in the morning. Everyone who didn't have a negotiated deal, who didn't strike a bargain with him, is stunned by the owner's generosity. They expected their pay to be reduced by the hours they didn't work, but they still walked away with a full day's pay. And of course, none of them are going to complain. I wouldn't. They realized they all got more than they deserved, some more than others, but they were all blessed way beyond what they deserved. The owner wasn't fair, and they're glad. Then come the workers who had done the negotiating, who had made the deal. Though here come the workers who had agreed that they would hold up their end of the bargain as long as the owner held up his end of the bargain. And the owner does exactly what he promised to do. They gave him a full day's work. He gave them a full day's pay. He was perfectly fair with them. And they don't like it. They don't like it one bit. They begin to grumble. They begin to complain Honestly, I think I would have too if I was wrong. Can't blame them. I want equal pay for equal work. If I've given more, if I've worked longer, I should get more. There's a labor lawsuit waiting here in this story right here. I want what's fair. Do I really? Do I really want what's fair? Jesus' whole point with this story is that God isn't fair. And that's a good thing. Instead of being fair, our God is generous. It's a story about the grace of God. And it's a story that powerfully demonstrates 
The difference between those of us who are tempted to live by the law and those of us who are desperately living by grace. Really, the story echoes what Lord's Day 4 is setting us up to understand. Because by understanding what it means for God to be fair to us, namely understanding justice and understanding supreme penalty that we deserve and understanding eternal punishment of body and soul, all those harsh, heavy words that we read, by understanding that truth, we're finally going to more fully understand and appreciate and be in awe at God's mercy and at his grace. Jesus is communicating here in this story that if we're interested in having God be fair with us, he is more than willing to enter that kind of bargain with us. He will be thoroughly fair and give us exactly what we've earned and exactly what we deserve. Jesus' law-abiding religious listeners who heard this for the very first time, they would have recognized themselves in this story. They would have recognized their desire for a fair deal from God. They would have seen themselves as the all-day workers, right? Remember the question of the rich young man? The very religious young man? He asked the question in chapter 19, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? You know who he is? He's in the city square. He's negotiating with God a deal, trying to work out a fair deal with God. Because God, the way he sees it, God has something that he needs. Right? God, God holds the key to eternal blessing and eternal life. That's something he needs. And in the way he sees it, he has something God needs. God needs him, his service, his obedience, his worship. He needs, God needs him to get his work done here on this earth. So let's make a deal. You give me this blessing, I'll do this work. That's really what the law says. When we relate to God according to rules and regulations, according to the law of God, we're basically saying, God, I will obediently follow your commands. I will serve you this amount. I will give you this many hours. I'll give you this much effort. I'll do this that you require of me. And in return, to the extent that I'm able to, to keep my end of the bargain here, how about you bless me? You bless me in this life. You bless me eternally. Deal, God? Does that sound great? Handshake is given. The deal is done. Whether we want to admit it, that's the way many of us often think about our relationship with God. We're pretty good people who are doing pretty good things for God, and he should be pleased with the work that we're giving him. He should pay us. He should give us that blessing that we deserve, right? We're giving him a pretty good day's effort. No, we're not perfect. We recognize that. That's what grace is for, right? Grace just finishes the part of the work that we can't do. If, if salvation is like a ladder, we climb the first 10 rungs of the ladder, and that 11th one is for grace. Grace just makes up that difference. That's the kind of deal we think we've got worked out with God, and we want him to be fair. But then we look around at everybody else who is left in the city square. Right? We look at everybody else who hasn't made this kind of bargain with God yet. I mean, look at all these commandment-breaking people around us, right? People who don't feel the need to make any bargain with God, and there's plenty of them all around us, right? They didn't go off to work first thing in the morning. They haven't been serving God 
all their lives. They're looking for a day off, getting paid for doing nothing. They got no negotiating leg to stand on here. And God isn't fair to them. He's better than fair. He's generous to them. So much so that instead of going hungry, their families are going to eat well that night. What they get by God's grace is exactly the same reward that we get. At the end of the day, what they get for their little bit of work, their little bit of faithfulness, is the same that we get for all the work that we've done. What they get for their little bit of time is the same as what we get for all our time. What they get for the little bit that they produce for God, if anything, is the same as what we get for all we produce for God. And that's unjust. It doesn't seem fair. Where do I file my complaint? Because I want fair, God. No, I don't. And neither do you. We don't want God to be fair. If God were fair, if God were to give us exactly what we deserved, then all of us would lose. Because this bargain that we try and make with God, you know, I'll obey God and, and you bless me, it's a bad deal for us. Bad deal. Because we always fall short of the obedience God requires of us. Think back to last week, the poison that's in everything that we do and everything we offer. We always fall short in our worship and adoration. We always fall short of loving him and loving each other the way that he calls us to do. We always fall short in keeping our end of the bargain. And so God has no obligation whatsoever to keep his, none. If God was fair, we would get nothing. We would all lose because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As question answer 11 told us, his justice demands that sin committed against his supreme authority be punished with supreme penalty. Eternal punishment of body and soul. God, we're fair. That's where we're headed. But there's no limit to what we can expect from God's grace. There's no limit to what we can expect when we simply... Trust God to do what's right. You go work in my field and I'll treat you right. Because God's standards are not those of strict reward for services rendered. Let's balance the scales. Let's be fair. Let's be just. Let's give what's deserved. None of us holds any claim to God's goodness. But when we finally realize, and I hope we're beginning to realize now after three weeks of, the, of this, when we finally begin to realize that we can do nothing but entrust ourselves to God's grace, we will find that our God is a large-hearted God who's compassionate and loving and whose generosity transcends any human idea of fairness. There's no limit to what God's grace will do for those who have no claim on him who trusts entirely to his goodness. And that's the lesson you and I need to learn. The lesson of grace that's so far beyond any deal that we can make. Salvation's not earned. That, that 11-rung ladder that we think we can climb 10 up, we don't even get up the first rung. It's all grace. And it's only given freely because of God's great generosity. Salvation by grace through faith. So now, those of us who have lived a lifetime of faithfulness, right? 
many of us have. We need to decide how we're going to react to God's stunning generosity that we see to those lucky latecomers who come in towards the end, right? Are we going to bitterly complain that God isn't fair? Like the people in Jesus' story? Or are we going to share the joy of God's generosity? Do we really wish that others had been left hungry at the end of the day? Do we really feel better if others, would we feel better if others weren't able to experience the fullness of God's love and compassion? Do we really want to choose to grumble and complain about God's fairness when there's an eternal celebration going on? Jesus tells another story. Maybe you want to pull out your Bibles tonight for your evening devotions and read Luke 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. And ask yourself when you read that story, if you really want to be choose, if you really want to choose to be the oldest son standing outside the party sulking while there's a celebration going on. It's time for us to let go of fear and to celebrate grace. First of all, be astonished and celebrate God's grace in your own life. Your place in God's eternal kingdom does not depend on you keeping your end of any kind of handshake bargain. It all depends on God's grace. All that we do for him, that we think earns us anything, it's all done out of gratitude. We'll see that later as we work our way through the catechism. But then also join the party and celebrate God's amazing grace that reaches out to even the most undeserving and gives life instead of death. So after tonight, now we turn the page from understanding the depth of our misery. We're going to be done with the misery section now. And we're going to start into section two of the catechism. We're going to begin to understand our deliverance from this misery. And I think these three weeks of knowing the extent of our sin, knowing the depth of our failure, knowing the true need, our desperate need of God's grace, now we'll be able to truly celebrate and be glad that God isn't fair. And we'll understand what grace truly is. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for not being fair. As much as in our ignorance we often cry out for justice and fairness from you, thank you for not listening to that. Thank you for giving us grace instead. Thank you for the grace that reaches out to those who have walked with you and served you for many years of their lives. And thank you for your grace that goes out for those who finally see your light, your salvation light through the power of your spirit at the very end. And may we be people who celebrate every time that your grace changes a life and brings your kingdom here on this earth and in, in people's hearts. So Father, Thank you for showing us and reminding us of the depth of our misery, even though we don't like to hear that, because we know that's not the end of the story. We know now how great your grace is, and we thank you, and we love you, and we celebrate you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.